Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. One of the most disturbing and moving conversations I have, especially when I'm on the road, is hearing from moms and dads and grandparents about uh, adult children who have abandoned uh, the church. Uh, Some of them simply drift away. Others of them uh, claim they have found uh, Jesus outside the visible boundaries of the Catholic Church. Uh, Others of them uh, have become anti-Catholic, in fact. How can you tell if your child is thinking about leaving the faith? How can you act to uh, strengthen your child's faith? What kind of conversations can you have? Also, what kind of conversations can you have with kids who have abandoned uh, their faith altogether? Well, to, f- to, help, to help us out on this, I've asked uh, my friend Gary Mashuda. Gary is the author of several books, uh, outstanding books in the field of apologetics, Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger. And today we're going to take a look at how to wolf-proof your kids. He's a frequent guest on Catholic Radio and the creator of a Hands-On Apologetics website. You can follow him at Gary Mashuta, M-I-C-H-U-T-A dot com, or uh, handsonapologetics.com. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Yeah. Uh, this, I remember when you wrote this, uh, in, and um, it's, it, is, it is such a, a valuable book. Uh, the need is, is great. Parents looking forward or looking backward, they're concerned about this very topic. How, why, why wolf proof? What, what the, the metaphor of wolf? There? Well, you know, I, I'm playing off the idea of sheep stealing, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, our Lord warned us about uh, wolves that dress up in sheep's clothing that will steal from the flock. So, uh, so that's how I came up with uh, this wolf proof project. <laughs> and actually, the motivation is basically the same thing you said, giving talks and seminars and having parents coming yeah. up afterwards and hearing horror story after horror story. Yeah. I thought, uh, you know, it's once people leave the faith, it's so hard to bring them back. That's true. And so I thought, you know, maybe we should do some front end apologetics. That's right. And yeah. kind of instill certain ideas in the kids so that it's harder for people to sheep steal. Uh, what are some of the tactics, the steps, the stratagems of the sheep stealers? Ah, that's a good question. You know, there's so many different groups out there, but they all have essentially the same strategy. Uh, first, you know, they don't throw out wide nuts. That's a misconception. Uh, they target people. There are certain groups that are more fruitful for sheep stealing than other groups. Mm-hmm. Usually, uh, they look for people whose uh, social net is strained, where they don't have close connections with neighbors and family, uh, homebound, single mm-hmm. parents, uh, perhaps somebody who's recently widowed or divorced, and especially college campuses, because once the kids go off to campus, they don't have their usual friends and family members right. to rely on. So that's a very fruitful area for uh, sheep stealing. It's also, in terms of maturation, it's a time when um, young people are individuating, they're distancing themselves from their family, trying to discover who they are yeah. in and of themselves. And so a lot of times one of the ways of asserting uh, their new identity or distinct identity is to move in the direction of a different religion yes that's or abandon true. entirely yeah. um, so they target uh, they they uh, actually do target uh, 
people. They build relationships uh, with the recruit. Uh, what kind of social events are uh, derived, are built up to uh, help invite uh, new recruits? Yeah, well, part of the building relationship idea is that they start taking notes about, well, what does this person like? What do they not like? What are they searching for? Is there a, an area that we could exploit? And then, for example, uh, say a person likes music or acoustic guitar. If there's an event coming up that's a group-sponsored event that involves music or acoustic guitars, they're going to try to invite that person there because they know it's an area of interest. Uh, or perhaps you're interested in science. They'll say, well, our group is going to have a lecture on creation and science. Yeah. You'd really be interested. Yeah. And, and, of course, they're ready and waiting for them at the organize. You know, once they come to that group, sure, they're ready to uh, start um, – Oh, uh, start socially manipulating them yeah. too. Some of these groups so, uh, are more self-conscious about targeting Catholics than others. I would assume yeah. um, some of them uh, are just out there sharing what they understand to be the gospel. Uh, but th there are entire uh, mega churches that were created because senior pastor and their elder board or deacon board decided that they would go after discontented Catholics. Mm -hmm. They yeah. built entire megachurches that way. And, of course, former Catholics constitute the second largest religious demographic in America. True. Largest one is Catholics, second largest former Catholics. I think Southern Baptists come up after that. Uh, well, what do, you, what do you suggest to parents so that they don't find themselves in this situation, what can they do to uh, begin to help strengthen the tie between Christ, the church, and their child? Okay, well, you know, a lot of this comes from just experience with dealing with anti-Catholics, because uh, it's very obvious that there are certain deficiencies that they've had back when they were in the church yeah. that led to where they are. For example, catechesis, apologetics and evangelism. And invariably, whenever I give a, a talk about how to wolf-proof your kids, I ask for a show of hands. How many people here have been catechized? And almost everybody raises their hand. And I say, how many people here studied apologetics in high school or grade school? Maybe one or two people would yeah. raise their hand. And then I say, how many people were evangelized in high school or grade school? And generally, there's no hands or no maybe hands. one. And that's really there. You need all three. You need catechesis, wow. apologetics, and evangelism. And each one reinforces the other. Uh, catechetics explains what we know as Catholics. Apologetics explains why we know what we know. And evangelism introduces us to whom we know. Yeah, yeah. And if one of those three is missing, then uh, the other two are weakened. Yeah. Very good. Uh, there's like a three-legged stool there. Yeah. Uh, you're a cradle Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can explain uh, for those who don't understand why this is the case. How how is it that so many Catholics in America have been sacramentalized but not evangelized? They've been catechized but not evangelized. Why? How did that happen? <laughs> That's a difficult question to answer because um, I, I think around the turn of the last century, there was 
uh, kind of clericalism. People had large families, and they left it to the priests or the nuns to do do all three of those things: evangelize, yeah. catechize, and you know, teach apologetics. And it was kind of, I think there was a separation that there's really no burden on the family to pass on the faith because right. that's something father will take care of in CCD or, you know, some religious program. That was certainly the case in my, my family. I mean, okay. we went to mass every week. We went through the sacraments. We were sent off to catechism on Saturday mornings. And um, uh, we, I don't recall, I honestly don't recall um, any single let alone sustained conversation uh, about doctrinal, apologetic, liturgical matters. Yeah, in my with my mom and dad, and, and certainly without with my brothers and sisters. Right. Um, and I, it's always puzzled me that it would be that way. Yeah, <laughs> partially because <laughs> if I if it wasn't worth discussing, it probably wasn't worth passing along, and yet they did pass it along. So I I'm not sure. How they still to this day, uh, I've asked them, they've never given me a good answer <laughs> for why that was the case. But they're, they're, they grew up, my mom and dad grew up at a time in which generally people didn't talk about religion, it was considered a private matter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's kind of funny. But that, that, is un, that has created a situation in which there's been a reluctance, I think, to challenge people. Uh, with the claims of Christ. We're going to continue conversation with Gary Mashuda. How to wolf-proof your kids. It's a practical guide for keeping your kids Catholic. And uh, again, this is one of the most painful areas for parents to consider. And what we'd like to do here is help avoid some of these problems in the future. There are lots of great ways to connect with us at AveMariaRadio.net, like our Poll of the Week. This week we want to know, should schools, businesses, stadiums, and more be allowed to require a COVID vaccine to enter their premises? Let us know what you think now at AveMariaRadio.net. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, apologist Gary Mashuda, author of a number of works, in the field of apologetics. Um, we are looking, though, a little bit different, although it's related to apologetics. Uh, this is targeted to parents. How to wolf-proof your kids. In other words, how to keep your sheep from being stolen by uh, non-Catholic groups, some of whom actually do target uh, Catholics. It's a practical guide for keeping your kids Catholic. We were talking about sheep stealing uh, in the last segment. And I guess what kind of program can a, can, uh, most parents that I've met whose children have wandered from the faith are very concerned. They're committed people. They thought they were doing what was right. You got it correct, I think. Uh, many of them thought of the priests and, uh, and the nuns and sisters as kind of the religious professionals who would take care of that kind of thing. And they figured if we, I just stay faithful, we go to Mass, everything's fine. What do parents have to do today uh, to ensure, now, now that this call has been issued and people are aware that Catholics, uh, we've lost 50% of Catholics under the age of 30. I saw this the other day. And uh, we know that uh, the second largest religious demographic in America are former Catholics. The very fact of the new evangelization 
uh, John Paul II always talked about it in very positive ways. But the truth of the matter is, and he knew this, that was an extraordinary admission of failure. You don't have to, you should not have to evangelize the baptized. Right. I mean, <laughs> that something went wrong, and uh, he knew it. And so the new evangelization is itself a, a, an honest admission on the part of the church that it, it failed to do the work of uh, evangelization for a significant percentage of its membership. So this is a different day. This is a day where people say, okay, that's past. How do we do it differently in the future? What do you suggest? Well, the first thing I suggest is to take the faith beyond devotion. And this is an area we can steal from the, the wolves out there. Uh, that is that uh, in addition to doing all the things that you normally do, have your kids involved with, let's say, social action groups, such as uh, take them to a crisis pregnancy center and help volunteer over there or um, go to a soup kitchen and get them involved with the faith so that they can see the good fruits that come from it. They also get uh, mm -hmm. uh, involved in the process and they can see it at work. That way, when sheep stealers come and try to paint the church as uncaring, unloving, right. or whatever, they could say, no, my experience is completely yeah. different. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. What else? Uh, well, another thing is invest in your faith. Uh, when I give these talks, I always say that the two things that kept me in the church was my mom's consistent prayer of, uh, of devotion to Our Lady of Perpetual Help and my dad falling asleep at church. Those two things. <laughs> you got to give me, you got to do me some work on this. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, well, my mom's easy, right? You know, that's showing yeah, that, me that the faith easy. is real. Yeah. But my dad, he had to work two, sometimes three jobs to, to to feed the family. So for him to go to mass was a personal sacrifice. And that spoke volumes to me because I realized, wow, the faith is valuable. The faith means sacrificing in order to be a Catholic. And I think uh, parents sometimes are discouraged. For example, I know with my kids, trying to get the kids to mass on time can be a real big struggle. But yeah. really, that's gold because what you're showing them is that mass is so important that you're willing to go through all the suffering and pain of getting everybody right. in the car and off to mass. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's exactly true. Uh, so take the faith beyond devotion. Uh, make sure that they're acting out the spiritual and corporal works of mercy in some small way at least. Mm -hmm. uh, invest in your faith uh, so that the kids can see that it's meaningful uh, to you. Uh, keep going. Okay. Another step would be to know the Bible, at least certain crucial things about the Bible that you can pass on to your kids. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, but you should know how the Bible was put together, um, why Catholic tradition is important for correctly interpreting the Bible. And especially with the new atheism, you need to know some simple answers to hot-button topics like yeah. creation and so on. Yeah. Do you—I um, mean, there's been a, a, there are a lot of materials that are available now to mm -hmm. help people know Scripture— uh, this wasn't, there wasn't that many popular tools available 25 years ago for, uh, by Catholic publishers on knowing the Bible. But now we've got the Great Adventure Bible Series that Jeff Cavins does. We've got uh, Catholic Bible Studies Series, right. Scripture Studies Series, uh, 
that are being done by a variety of different groups that we've discussed here, um, Know the Bible series. Uh, so these, uh, these tools are out there. Something I've noticed, though, is that they don't necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily uh, integrated into parish life. A lot of the people who are doing these Bible studies do them not because they're members of a parish, but they learn about them outside the parish and then maybe bring them into the parish mm -hmm. to do them. Right. Uh, so there, there are Catholic parents who, even if they're not uh, getting it uh, in, the, in the parish, are going out beyond the parish boundaries right. to find these tools. Yeah, and uh, even if you don't have time or the expertise or you don't have the desire, another thing I recommend in the book is to have an apologetic bookshelf. And yeah, very good. have books that do answer those questions or CDs or DVDs on Scripture. And the funny thing is, the kid doesn't even have to uh, look at them. You know, he does, they don't have to read them. But they do know that there are resources that mom and dad have that if I do have questions, I can go over there and take a book off the bookshelf. And if they're too ashamed, they can maybe secretly take a book off the bookshelf and look things up. Anonymity is sometimes a good, <laughs> a good means of spiritual growth. That's right. Uh, you, you mentioned your own experience, uh, your mom's, both your mom and dad's commitment uh, to Mass. Clearly, this was something important to them. Uh, tell us about your, any experience you had where you might have considered uh, leaving the Catholic faith or wondering about your commitment? Oh, uh, th there was a couple of times where I was approached by non-Catholics, yeah. usually fundamentalist Baptists, because that would be around the early 80s yeah. when yeah. that was uh, popular. And um, the funny thing is, I was much more into philosophy than religion, so I tried to handle it on a philosophical level, huh. you know, pointing out fallacies. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think I've ever, nothing ever really compelled me to so nothing, move in that area. Yeah, so, okay, so you, you never felt any, uh, you were always pretty firm yeah, in I the faith. So. That's interesting. Uh, what were you, were you reading anything at the time, or was it simply the example uh, and the security of your parents as models? Yeah, it was definitely that. Okay. Um, and parents should take comfort, too, in that, Bringing their kids to weekly mass does have a an impact. It it's, does. It's radiation treatment, irradiated with the presence of Christ. And I knew in my heart that there was something unique about the church, something I loved. The thing was, I didn't really think it was intellectually based. I just thought it was a kind of mystical religious experience. And it wasn't until I got involved in apologetics that I realized, wow, there is really substantial reasons for what we believe. But, uh, you know, that heart knowledge was always there. And I find that even when people leave the church, uh, th there is that deeper longing that something's missing, mm -hmm. something's different. I, I think, for my in my case, I, w I would uh, argue something similar uh, about it. Um, I was never I was never anti-Catholic. Even when I left, I always had respect for the church. I, I never thought uh, I I disagreed with certain doctrines or dogmas, but I didn't. I always assumed it was a Christian church. Uh, I never thought it was uh, heretical. At least I don't remember ever thinking <laughs> that. Uh, and I, I think partially because I, I did have certain encounters as a kid 
very inarticulate, and I, I did not do a lot of thinking on these things, but I remember my first confession, and there was a, a, a true sense of transcendental joy after, uh, after the words of absolution were spoken. And I, it, to, I remember it to this day. I mean, that's how strong it was. And I can remember oftentimes in the quiet of the church. At that time, churches were still open during the day. You could go in there and sit before the, uh, or kneel before the Blessed Sacrament. And I can remember having this inchoate sense that I wasn't alone when I was there. There yeah. was a sense of presence. Now, it's very subjective. I, I you know, I, you want to pick it apart, fine. Right. But the point is, I remember that. And I think that's one of the reasons that it never occurred to me to want to destroy uh, where I'd come from. Yeah. I thought it, 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 it helped. And I, th I think without, uh, even though I, I regret that we didn't have more uh, free conversation about the faith when I was growing up, without that rudimentary attendance at Mass and the sacraments, I think my life would have been impoverished uh and i not sure i would have survived hmm. those teen years yeah yeah that's yeah. very powerful yeah and it, there you could hear testimonies about uh, atheistic jews or just non-believers who happen to walk into a catholic church because it's cool and it's hot outside and yet they they had this sense that you know, there's something different about this space that's not you know that you don't find anywhere else right yeah right which makes me think of president trump visiting St. Peter's, and what he must have thought. So, but we'll leave that uh, for the president to say sometime in the future. Uh, do you think that pressures uh, to leave the church are stronger today than they were when you were growing up? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. The, the culture is much more corrosive to the faith than ever before. And... Uh, I know just with my kids trying to uh, keep an eye on what kind of things are coming into our house, it's so easy to uh, little MP3 players or internet or something that they can get in touch with uh, some bad elements. So, yeah. and just the overall culture, I think, has turned dramatically since the last ten, twenty years. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's definitely gotten gotten worse. I wouldn't have said that. It I. <clears throat> there was a period of time where Christians had developed a strong subculture. They had programs, they had uh, uh, Bible courses that pushed back. And I thought through the uh, 80s into the 90s, up till right around uh, the turn of the millennium, that we might be actually m making some progress. But the last uh, 10, 15 years, it's been, I think, much more difficult. We'll come back with Gary Mashuda, How to Wolf Proof Your Kids. Good afternoon. I'm Al Crested with Gary Mashuda, Catholic apologist and author of uh, How to Wolf Proof Your Kids. Uh, you hear Gary frequently on Catholic Radio. He's the creator of Hands On Apologetics, a website. Uh, yeah, so you're raising children now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, do you find it's been m more difficult as the kids come along? Ooh, good question. Um, I think so in some ways. Um, I, I think 
we ha they have a good foundation, but I also know that teenagers will be teenagers, yeah. Yeah. and uh, they're going to have to go out and see whether what mom and dad says is true. Uh, but uh, that that's a really good question. In some ways, it was a little harder when they're younger, just because uh, there's video games and all sorts of social media that. I don't think we were prepared for as well as we should have been, mm -hmm. and uh, we only caught that after the fact. Yeah, uh, but uh, the culture certainly has become worse. Yeah, as far it's as definitely more toxic. The environment. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Here's a funny thing, by the way, you may not know this, but uh, Sally and I visited a, a Hutterite, a Brethren community of uh, uh, in the Hutterite tradition, I believe, uh, years ago, and uh, they it was a commune situation. These go back to the Anabaptist uh, Reformation period. And, and I asked um, about their kids. They don't baptize their children uh, until uh, after high school. Hmm. And what they do is they send their kids to secular high school, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, after they're done, they ask them if they would then want to join the community. Mm -hmm. And if they decide they want to join the community, they'll baptize them. Right. Uh, otherwise, they're off on their own. So I said, how many, how's it go? I mean, what's the, what's the percentage? And the, the fellow was very candid about it. He says, well, we lose about half. Right. I mean, that's, that's wild to, to, to think about that. It kind is. of resign yourself to losing half your kids. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a, kind of a pessimistic outlook. It is. Which probably explains why there's not a lot of Hutterite communities in here. <laughs> that, may, that may be, that may be. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine kind of resigning myself to that. Yeah. But what should people do when children have left? How do you win children back? Uh, that's, uh, that's a bit difficult, more difficult, I think, than, than wolf-proofing. Yeah. Um, one thing you need to do is diagnose the problem. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. You just don't run in and start preaching to them because that could just push your loved one further from the church. You need to diagnose uh, what were the reasons why they left. Were there some sort of obstacles involved? It could be that they're just apathetic or indifferent, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, that's one category that you need to treat a certain way. Or maybe they had intellectual obstacles, maybe misunderstandings about doctrine. They could have moral obstacles, that there's just a, a favorite sin that they'd no. rather uh, join a group that doesn't look frown upon it. Or um, could be historical obstacle, maybe the, the priest tripped them when they were an altar boy or something like that, some sure. personal hurt. Yeah. And, of course, if you start arguing about personal hurt, that does nothing. No. So, so you have to pray and discern. Uh, and then once you do that, then you need to make a plan of action. How can you start restarting this conversation? Because mm -hmm. chances are if they've left and they've left for a while, there probably isn't very good communication on religious topics. Right. Right. And uh, at that point, I recommend uh, reading or listening to some good Catholic material and just sharing it with them, asking for their opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good non-confrontational way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, after they listen to it, find out what they think. And listen when they start talking, because they'll give you clues as to where those yeah. obstacles lie. And then you can kind of focus on uh, clues like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that's, it, it, really, it really becomes almost down to the individual to, to make your plan of attack.
The reasons the reasons do vary. Yes. Uh, some people uh, are spiritually committed, but they just don't think they can find it in the Catholic Church. Others are indifferent, apathetic, as you say. Right. Uh, others of them are hurt. Uh, they, they, they've been bruised. Um, so, yeah, distinguishing uh, the reason for leaving, I think, is, is the very first thing you have to do. Yeah. Uh, given that we've got such a crisis here of former Catholics, the second largest religious demographic out there, uh, do you think, have you seen parishes setting up programs to help us win these uh, sheep back? Not really. No, uh, I haven't either. No. Uh, in fact, yeah. Oh, absolutely. There is definitely a need. Yeah. Definitely I mean, I, I, virtually every parish needs something like that. Absolutely. Because like yeah. you said, the largest demographic out there is former Catholics. Yeah. And, and like I said, it really does come down to person-to-person individual uh, makeup. I, I can't possibly give one person advice that will work for another. If yeah. someone has a personal hurt, I can't tell them a defense of the papacy. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember a conversation with a family member a few years ago now. Uh, I I had heard that this person was contemplating divorce. And so I challenged him and I said, hey, uh, before you take action like that, you know, you were raised Catholic. Maybe it's time for you to think about what the will of God might be. And a person basically jumped down my throat saying, where, where do you find the will? Who, who knows what the will of God is? You know, mm-hmm. say, well, you can take a look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can take a look at Scripture. I mean, there are ways of knowing what God wills. And uh, he just turned it on the uh, against the Church. How I, those perverts, I wouldn't go meet with them, you know. This is a person that's really ill-disposed uh, towards the church. This was beyond reason. Yes. Um, and uh, we have to be prepared for that kind of thing. It happens. People do grow that way, right. uh, especially if they've been away for a long time and have built up almost a mythology about what's wrong with the Catholic Church. Right. And that would be my clue that maybe the problem is probably something in the history. Right. That they're hurt. It's more of an emotional problem than yeah. intellectual. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what am I going to do? Argue for the papacy with this guy? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> What's he going to say? So what? He could, but yeah, it won't be effective. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's why diagnosis is so important. You need to kind of do a lot of listening and see, okay, are, are there reasons coherent? Is there some sort of, obviously that person believes in God, so that's a foundation. Uh, it seems like he believes that the will of God is important. And then, uh, you know, you sow seeds by asking questions about, well, you know, how do I know what the will of God yeah. is? Where should I go? Well, you go to the catechism and so on. You know, it, it occurs to me the rebirth of apologetics over the last generation has been welcome, unbelievably a blessing, no doubt about it. When I was thinking of returning to the Catholic Church back in the very early 1980s, there were no materials like we've got today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they weren't there. I even tried to write an article on uh, an evangelical's view of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I tried to find, uh, you know, good arguments that Catholics would present, because I was open to them. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. I found lots of devotional material, uh, and I found some high-minded theological material, which went beyond what I, where I wanted to go with it. But I didn't find any good popular apologetics. None. And uh, today, 
you can find them everywhere. Part of it, of course, is the internet, so we have better access. But publishing, we just have more great stuff that's been published since. And more publishers. And more publishers, that's right. And uh, one area of this this nexus between apologetics and evangelization that I don't, I don't know anybody who's quote specializing in it. And it's this field of reclamation, winning back those Catholics who have departed. It seems to me that that actually there's an, there's a, that's an area of specialization that somebody could take up yeah. and make it their full-time uh, ministry and work. I think the need is there. And I think parishes need somebody to visit them and help encourage these kind of groups, these these St. Monica groups that you talk about. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So, Yeah, that's uh, some of the priests I've talked to, that's their feeling as well. They, yeah. they get a lot of people approaching them, asking questions, Father, what should I do? And they don't have the time or expertise to help every single individual. That's right, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. There definitely is a need. Now, if people want to follow up with you on something like this, are you available to speak in churches and on this topic? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, how do people get a hold of you? Well, they can visit my website at handsonapologetics.com or uh, also garymachuda.com. Okay. Garymachuda.com. That's M-I-C-H-U-T-A. Garymachuda.com or handsonapologetics.com. You working on any new big apologetics books? Uh, yes. Uh, well, actually, you know, this will be a scoop for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, Catholic <laughs> Answers acquired why Catholic Bibles are bigger, and right now I'm working on a Very new good. edition of it. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. And your book on why Catholic Bibles are bigger certainly deserve uh, that kind of distribution that you'll get with Catholic Answers. So glad to hear it. Um, do you have any other large projects? Uh, you're going to edit uh, this, you know, re- prepare this book for a new edition. Any other big projects that you're working on? Um, no, I, I've been keeping busy doing talks um, yeah. and also this editing. Uh, you know, it's going to be an even bigger Why Catholic Bible. You are. Bibles. You're going to write more, not less. <laughs> well, there's new material, and I also have to take, you know, condensing it, and so yeah. hopefully it'll be more readable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, let me thank you for joining me again, Gary. And uh, again, the book is called How to Wolfproof Your Kids. It's a practical guide for keeping your kids Catholic. Gary Mashuda. And uh, you can see, contact him at GaryMashuda.com or go to HandsOnApologetics.com. Thanks, Gary. Thank you for having me. I'm Al Cresta. Be back in just a moment. There are lots of great ways to connect with us at AveMariaRadio.net, like our Poll of the Week. This week we want to know, should schools, businesses, stadiums, and more be allowed to require a COVID vaccine to enter their premises? Let us know what you think now at AveMariaRadio.net. 